Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Um, it's exciting. Tonight, the title of my talk, and for those who maybe um, have been in church for a while, just let the title explain itself in the sermon before you get mad at me. Um, the title is Pour One Out for the Homies. Pour One Out for the Homies. It's exciting. Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work on your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the, mix, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that, the, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, not of my faith, not of my bank account, not of my life, but I poured out as a sacrificial offering for your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is looking at the end of his life. He's actually, he he can see it. It's just days away. He knows that his execution is coming. He knows that his days are numbered. He knows that his life here on earth is coming to an end. And as he sits in prison, as he sits in house arrest, he begins to put pen to paper as he's reminiscing over the people that he impacted, reminiscing of his friends that he met along the way, reminiscing about the people that, 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 that he, he had met and, and had conversations with and cried with and worshipped with along the way. And he's reminiscing about the good old days. And the church of Philippi comes to his heart. And, and generally when Paul would write a letter, he would write, so, he would write it with purpose. There would be a reason behind his writing. It usually would be either a correction or maybe an encouragement. But when he was writing a letter to the Philippians, it actually had no purpose or reason. The only reason was just to tell them how much he loved them. To tell them how good they were doing. It was just one of those random texts that you may receive. Say, hey, I'm thinking about you. You know, aren't those the most awkward texts to, re- to reply to? I don't know why. I usually just send that new thumbs up thing. I'm just like, thanks. Because I don't know what else to say. Thank you, you know, I'm thinking of you too, even though you weren't, that's a lie. Like, it was random. Anyways, that's not what Paul was doing. See, Paul is writing this letter just randomly encouraging the church of Philippi. And and in chapter 2, he begins with this profound dissertation about Jesus and his humility and how he walked out his life on earth and how he lived out his ministry on earth and the things that he did and and the great accomplishments that he had and how he was so humble and how he took on human form and he gave up his godly nature so that we could could, could receive it. And he begins to finish the beginning of chapter 2 saying that there is no name greater than his than Jesus and, and that all knee will bow and all tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he finishes on this great triumphant, uh, uh, you know, finishing at the beginning of chapter two. And he, then he begins to transition. And then Paul begins to give us a glimpse into his heart. 
Paul begins to give us a glimpse of, of his motivation. Paul begins to give us a glimpse of why he, he dedicated his life to the ministry. Paul begins to give us a glimpse of his life's work. And he begins to give us a picture saying, this is why I did what I did. This is why I lived the way that I lived. This is why I cried when I was crying. This is why I prayed so often. This is why I would worship. This is why I would get in my word because this is, it was nothing about me. So as we get, as we pick up in verse 12, he begins to show us a, a glimpse of what his goal was. He says this in verse 12, he says, my beloved as you have also obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. See, oftentimes when we come to church, we sit waiting for someone to work out our salvation for us. For someone to give us a good thought for the week, a, a, a good pointer, a good uplifting sermon, or maybe a good worship set, so that we can now work out our salvation for the week within the church setting. But what Paul was saying is he did not dedicate his life. He did not give up, any, you know, he didn't give up everything. He didn't fight through pain. He didn't cry tears of joy and tears of pain. He didn't stay up till late nights praying and worshiping for these churches just so that they could be fed on a Sunday. But what he was saying is I gave my life so you could grow in God even when I'm not there. Even when the church isn't there, even when the service isn't there, even when the worship set isn't there, even when the pastor isn't preaching a sermon, can you still go after God with a fervency and a passion? And can you still desire to become more like him? See, Paul was looking at the end of his life, knowing that he would not be there much longer and knowing that they could not rely on his teaching anymore. And what he did not want to do is leave them empty handed. See, oftentimes when we come to church, we receive something that's amazing and it's beautiful. But this monologue on a Sunday should create a dialogue on a Monday where we go into our houses and we begin to talk and think and, and, and live out what is, what is happening here on a Sunday. How much more should we pursue God in the absence of a church service than we do in a church service? But I would, I would pose the argument that oftentimes, and myself included, the pinnacle of our walk with God on a weekly basis is on a Sunday. The pinnacle with our walk with God on a yearly basis is on a Sunday. But I don't think that's what God designed our walk with Him to be. Paul says how much more that you need to pursue and work out your own salvation. Now I can get into theological things on what that means. There's, there's, there's salvation, justifying salvation that's just as if I never sinned. The moment you put your faith in God and say, God, I trust in you. I give you my heart. And we have this conversion, which many of us have had this moment. We are now solidified in God and we are going to heaven. Now there's a next level of salvation called sanctifying salvation or a sanctifying faith, which now is... On earth, as long as you live, you become more like God each and every day. It's the process now from the moment you give your heart to God to the moment you meet him in heaven is becoming more like him. So this is what Paul is talking about is this process of sanctification, becoming more like God. We were passionate when you gave your heart to Jesus, when he was wiping away your sins, wiping away your past, wiping away your shame, wiping away all the broken things that you did. You were passionate about Jesus when he came and he healed your broken heart. 
You were passionate about Jesus when you came and he, and he, he gave you joy when you had anxiety. He relieved you of that depression. He relieved you of that addiction. Can you not still be passionate when you know God, when you walk with God and you don't need God? How much more, he says, in my absence should you work out your salvation? How much more? And it says in fear and trembling. So when I read that, I think of the time that I went cliff jumping, right? How many of you have been cliff jumping? Like two people. Yeah, see, that's why people don't do it, right? Should have got the memo. Um, I, was in, I was in Hawaii. as a 60-foot cliff, right? And I'm getting up. And I have, three, I have two older brothers and we have friends. And so everyone, my brothers can just talk us into doing crazy stuff. So they go and they jump off and they're like, Jake, are you going to do it? I'm like, yeah, for sure. Like, like, you have to do it. We did it. I'm like, yeah, I know. I want to do it. Like, so I'm sitting on the edge. They're down there and they're like, Jake, hurry up. I'm like, count me down. They're like, all right, all right. Three, two, one. I'm like, no, 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 no. Count the other way. Count, start with one. Not, don't start with three. They're like, all right, all right. One, two. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Start at 10. Start at 10. You know, and then like three years later, I'm like 25 and I jumped in. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Um, see, oftentimes when we think of, when we see that, that verse, fear and trembling, that's what we think of, right? We think of a paralyzing fear. We think of something that maybe grips you that, that, that it, you, you can't, you know, function. But what Paul was actually speaking to was a reverence, an awe. It's the same function as when you are afraid, it takes your breath away, but it's in a good way. That what Paul is saying is that in the moments that you are at home and I am not there and the church isn't there and the sermon isn't there, you need to pursue God with the same awe and reverence as you did the first moment you responded to him. See, the first moment when we responded to Jesus and we realized, wow, his love covers all my sin, all my shame, all my brokenness, all my past. That is something that grips your soul and says, wow, God, how could you do that for me? See, there's an awe that, 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 that draws us to respond to the grace of God. But as we grow in life, we sometimes lose the awe of the grace of God. And what Paul is saying is in order for you to grow outside of the setting of church and outside of me being there, or maybe your small group leader or your pastor or your mentor not being there every step of the way to hold your hand, you need to live in a place in a constant state of reverence to God and saying, God, I cannot believe you still saved me. God, I cannot believe that you took me out of my brokenness. God, I cannot believe that you died on the cross for me. God, I cannot believe you sent your Holy Spirit. God, I cannot believe for me you did all these things. See, Paul begins to draw out these different things. He says, he, he says when not only in my presence, but in my absence... I need you to, with fear and trembling, with awe, with reverence, go after God. And as Paul normally does, he starts general and he gets really, really specific. So he starts general and he says, in my absence, I need you to grow in God. I need you to grow in God with fear and trembling. And these are the things I need you not to do. First, he says the things he needs us not to do. We love in church to hear the things that we need to do. But Paul oftentimes will write the things that you not only do you need to do and the things that you have to have in your life, but the things that you need to remove. 
So he begins to talk about the things that we need to remove and he begins to draw a comparison between believers in these broken times saying there is two ways you can live your life. There's two ways you can operate in God. There's two, way, two ways you can walk in your purpose. There's two ways you can lead your family. There's two ways you can lead your business. There's two ways you can lead your relationship with God. You can either live a life that is empty or a life that is emptied. A life that is empty or a life that is empty. See, we have one empty. An empty life is a status. It's, it's just where you are. It's a position. It's emptiness. It's, it's with, with void. There's nothing that's containing it, nothing that's filling it, nothing that, 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 that overflows out of it. It is empty. There is nothing left. There is nothing there. It is, it, it, it's a function of our soul. It's a position of our purpose. It is empty, emptiness. And then to be emptied is an action. It's a choice. It means that you are filled up with something, you are containing something, but you are choosing to pour out whatever you contain and you begin to pour it out. Paul begins to give us a comparison and saying that if you want to live life in awe and trembling and in reverence to God's grace when in my absence and not just in my presence, you can't live an empty life. You have to be able to live an emptied life. You have to be able to live a life that is poured out, live a life that is given, live a life that is laid down, live a life that is not for yourself, not selfishly, not, not, not believing for just yourself, but God requires you to live an emptied life. The most selfish moment in our walk with God is the moment we get saved. That's the last time that our life is about us. The moment we say, Jesus, come into my life, I need you. I need you to save me from my sin, my shame, my guilt. That is the last time that our prayer should be centered around ourselves. That is the last time that our thinking should be centered around ourselves. Because, Paul, but because Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Equally so, love your neighbor as yourself. So the moment you say, God, I love you with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, now your attention turns to your neighbor. Not just the neighbor that lives in the apartment next to you. But the person you have, you don't know at all. The person you have never met. The person that maybe you don't see eye to eye with. Maybe the person that you were grown, uh, you, were, you were taught as you've grown up to hate. An emptied life is someone who looks at their neighbor and says, let me give you something. See, the empty life, religion is a part of the empty life. If we live for religion, our life will be empty. If we live for the approval of others, our life will be empty. It's a position of our purpose. We will be a void of having anything. If we live for, for, for wealth, if we live for status, if we live for people, if we live for ourselves, no matter how much little bit of success we may have here and there, ultimately we will get to the end of our life and look back and feel like we are void. Get this, the enemy is not threatened by a Christian who lives an empty life. The enemy is not threatened by believers who only come to church on Sunday and never give anything on Monday. The enemy is not threatened by people who are okay with where they are at. The enemy is not, the, the enemy is not threatened by someone who is okay with the addiction that they are in. 
The enemy is not okay with the person with the old mindsets that they've been living in. The enemy is not threatened by that. In fact, the enemy will allow us to stay where we are at because he, think, he knows if we live an empty life, we're not going to do anything for God. So to think that the enemy is going to stop you is to live in a place of, of being ignorant because what the enemy is actually wanting you to do is taste a little bit of success so you allow yourself to stay empty. See, in the empty life, there's going to be moments where it feels good. There's going to be moments where the business is successful and you're like, this is what it's all about. I need to get the money. I need to get the house in Newport Beach. I need to get the Rolls Royce. I need to get everything. And when I get to that place, then I can pour out my life and I can be empty. But until I get there, I will just live for this and live for this. And you'll have moments of success and then you'll realize, wow, this is empty. Or religion, and we go to church, and we serve, and we serve, and we serve, and then we start getting promoted, and the pastors are noticing us, and the staff is noticing us, and people are noticing us, and we're getting up on stage, and we're getting to lead worship, and we're getting to lead in offerings, and do all these different things, and then we get to the end of it, and we've given everything we can to this thing and this action just for our own gain, and we realize that religion is empty. It's empty. The enemy is not threatened by our emptiness. But what he is threatened by is when believers begin to empty out. See, it says an empty life says God is taking this away from me. Well, you know, I don't want to serve God because maybe I, I have to give up this relationship. I have to give up this pattern of living. I have to give up this way of thinking. I don't think I can give that up. But John 10.10 10 says he wants to give us life and life to the full. So in order to live with God, he actually wants to give you a full life. But empty is those who lose their life will gain it. And those who gain their life will lose it. See, there's a common tradition in life. And this is where the title comes in. There's a common tradition in certain communities that when someone dies and they have a barbecue... They gather together and they open up their drinks, soda or water, um, <laughs> probably a Sprite, you know, and uh, they get their Sprite and their water, their Aquafina, and, um, and they pour it out on the ground before they ever take a sip. And they say, pour one out for the homies. And what this represents is it's actually them pouring it out on the ground to represent them recognizing those who have passed away and that they will rest in peace and that they'll always be with us. I learned this from TV. Um, <laughs> I've actually never done it myself. What you can learn on Netflix. It's amazing. Netflix is great. So they pour it out on the ground and it represents rest in peace. It represents you always be with us. And they always say, pour one out for the homies. And and in fact, this tradition did not begin in the neighborhoods of, of South, Southeast L.A. or in Chicago or in New York. It actually began in ancient Israel and ancient religions. That um, even pagan religions would do this, and they called it a libation, is where they would, they would pour out alcohol to their gods, and, and, and it would represent God give us rest, give us peace, let's seal this offering. In the Jewish tradition, what they would do is in every single sacrifice in the temple, besides a sin offering, to seal the sacrifice, they would get a drink, whether it's water or, or wine, and they would pour it out over the altar. And what it would represent is they are sealing what God has already done. And it brings rest. 
If you look at it, before they go into the promised land, it says that Joshua poured out a drink offering. In fact, they had a festival of just the drink offerings where they would pour things out on the ground. John chapter 7 says, those who thirst, come and I will, I, I will fill you. Jesus says this, when you thirst, I will fill you. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit to come. And he was talking about this in the middle of their festival that they were all pouring out water on the ground representing the drink offering. So this is where it comes out is, is this tradition of pouring it out is actually a religious tradition that came from the Jewish faith. And Paul is looking at the end of his life. See, see, we have to realize this. All of us will one day get to the end of our life. Whether you're 15 or you're 95 in this room tonight, one day you will get to the end of your life. One day, we will get to the place where we take our last breath. One day, our time here on earth will end. And this is where Paul is at right now. So put yourself in his position. Put yourself in his position knowing that in three days, your life would be over. How would you think? How would you live? How would you, how would you function? See, I think that the end of our life will bring out either the best of us or the worst of us. We can look back on all that we did and be happy and excited, or we can look back on all that we did and be regretful and wishing we would have done more. So Paul looks back on the end of his life in prison, and he's saying, when I face Jesus for myself, I'm going to look at my life and say the tears, the prayer, the pain, the phone calls, the time I spent loving on you, the time I spent encouraging you, the time I spent giving you my advice and you rejecting it, the time I spent giving my finances to you when you needed it, the time I, I, I witnessed to you when you did not believe, the time I was praying for, the, for that healing for your family member, the time I was standing in the gap for you, the time when I went to work every single day and I would pray over your desk, the time I would go to your house and pray over your house for your family members that were not saved, all of those times, they were were not wasteful they were worth it all of those times when I face Jesus and I look at the end of my life I will not look at my life and say man I wish I would have lived those life those times for myself no I look at those times and say man I am going to rejoice because it was worth living it for you Paul shows us what an empty life is. He says in Philippians chapter 3 that I have everything, but I give it up and count it as garbage as long as I can have Jesus and know Jesus. And when I know Jesus, that means you're going to know Jesus because my life is dedicated and poured out upon the altar of not my faith. Not the altar of my salvation, not the altar of my pain, not the altar of my problems, but the altar of your faith. Did you get that wording? That is so important because I think oftentimes in the church today, our thinking is this, I will be a drink offering poured out on the altar of my purpose. I will be a drink offering poured out on the altar of my finances. I will be a drink offering poured out on the, offer, on the altar of my health, of my family. And all of these things are good. But we oftentimes spend our whole life focusing on pouring it out for our purpose rather than living our life to see others walk in theirs. And this is what Paul is saying. I was the person who poured out my life so you could walk out yours. I was the person who poured out everything 
so you could so you could have everything. I was the person who gave it all up so I could see you walk in what God had destined you to walk in. There is something about living an emptied life. Because whenever you are emptied out, God will always fill you up more. See, some of us, we are like a car parked in our garage, full gas tank, ready to take us wherever we want to go. But we never empty out the gas tank. We leave it there and we watch it and we observe it. And we think, wow, man, that revelation God gave me five years ago was really good. Man, when God spoke to me, that was really, really good. Oh, what, what oh, Pastor Jensen spoke, oh, that was good. Oh, that podcast, that was good. But we never share it with anyone. See, we will never get to our destination unless we empty out the gas tank. We will never get to where God needs us to go until we empty out what he's already given us. Because when we empty out, he pours in more. He pours in more. He pours in more. And we constantly live in this place of emptiness. We live in this place of God. I, I, I give it to you. I give it to you. I think God is crying out for a church that is going to be emptied out in their workplace. Emptied out in their households. Emptied out in their families. Emptied out in their finances. And saying, God, it does not matter anymore. Nothing matters. Status does not matter. Followers do not matter. God, I don't even care about finances right now. What I care about is that you use my life to be a drink offering over the altar of their faith. And if that means one person comes to you and one person meets you, Jesus, it is worth it. I am going to live an emptied life. We need a church that is willing to be emptied out over the next generation. Over our high schoolers, our junior highs, and our college age, we need to stand behind them and empty our lives out for them rather than tell them every area that they're doing wrong. And every area they don't line up, and every area that it, whoa, when I was a kid, they didn't, this is, we didn't do that. Then why don't you pour out your life and show them what God showed you? Because there's a generation crying out for fathers and mothers to empty out their spirituality and say, you know what? I'm not going to give you religion. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm not going to force you to go to church. I'm going to force you to get in the presence of God because I'm going to pour it out over you. I'm going to speak life over you. I'm going to speak love over you. I'm going to speak grace over you. I'm going to speak purpose over you. I'm going to speak prosperity over your life. I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak purpose and destiny. God is crying out for people to pour themselves out. He says, do so without grumbling or complaining. How you live an empty life is every time something is wrong in your life, you talk to everyone else about it and you complain rather than living it out and saying, I'm going to pour out what I don't have and I'm going to give it to someone. He says, that's what separates you. A lot of us, we... we we are stuck in the same empty life because that's all we talk about. That's all we pray about. That's all we think about. And God says, why don't you stop complaining about what you don't have and start pouring out what you do? Because we cannot live an empty life focusing on our empty life. As long as we focus on what we don't have, we will never get what we want. But God is saying, how about you let go of what you don't have, pour out what you do have, and see what I can do with that. This is what Paul is saying. Well, you know what, Pastor Jake, I've just been in a hopeless situation. Can you go and give someone hope? Can you go pour out hope? Well, I don't have hope. Yeah, you do. It's called Jesus. Go pour out hope. Go give someone hope. 
Someone who's actually broken. Someone who has not met Jesus. Someone who has not walked into this place and encountered the Spirit of God that shows them why they were created. Walk into their life. Walk into their world and be the hope they were looking for. You know what, Pastor Jacob? I've been struggling with joy. I've just been really, really struggling. Can you go and bring joy to somebody else's life? I don't mean just go and tell a joke. That's not what I mean. I say bring a spirit of joy where you go into their life and you step into it. And for some reason, they cannot help but live a life that is joyful because the spirit of joy is oozing out of you. And you are emptying yourself of every bit of joy that you have. See, as long as there was a vessel for the widow, God filled it with oil. But when when the vessel stopped being empty, the oil stopped flowing. Maybe we are stuck in our relationship with God because we haven't emptied ourselves out in a while and the Holy Spirit is just waiting to pour out some new oil, but he can't because there's no room to contain what he wants to pour out because we haven't poured out our life yet. I know, I get it. You guys don't like that very much. It's okay. It's okay. God is good. But I promise you this. I was a sophomore in Bible college and I got to this place where I was so full of knowledge, so full of the scripture, so full of the teachings and I had stopped emptying myself out to others and I remember being so dry in my relationship with God. I remember going to to a church service and not being able to encounter God for months. I was in Bible college. I wasn't out sinning. I wasn't out drinking. I wasn't out partying. I was reading my Bible every single day. I was waking up early, which is a miracle. You can ask my wife. And I was just going after God. But for some reason, I was dry. And I remember God speaking to me. When was the last time you emptied out the revelation that you got? When was the last time you went and gave that revelation to someone else? I don't mean preach at them. I mean, do life with them. See, every revelation God gives you is not for you. Like I said, the moment we give our life to Jesus, that is the most selfish moment we are allowed to have. But after that, we need to be selfless. But why is it the church is the opposite of that quite uh, most times? Most of us, we come in here with an agenda of what we need from God rather than looking around and seeing what we can give to others. See, I think in Acts chapter 16, and I talked about this last night, when Lydia, who was actually the person who funded the church of Philippi, where where, where Pastor Javon was talking about an offering, Lydia was the person who funded it. A woman, by the way, who sold purple threads, which is a, 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 a very expensive thread in those days. And it said that God opened up her heart. She came to know God. She came in the purpose of worshiping God and religion, but then Paul begins to tell her about this grace that's not about religion, but it's about relationship. And it says that God came and opened up her heart. And then what did Lydia do right after that? It says, come into my home. When God opens up your heart, we are required to open up our homes. We are required to open up our hearts to other people is what it means. It doesn't mean you have to have everybody over for dinner. Trust me. But it does mean that everyone needs to become family. Which means you care just as much about everyone, even if you have no idea who they are, as you would your own family. No matter if you've ever met them, 
No matter if you, if you know them, God says, open up your heart and your home to them and say, hey, come on in. Because in order to have an open heart from God, we need to open our home with God. And say, my life is not about me. My life is not about what I can gain. My life is not about my agenda. The church should be on the forefront of social justice. The church should be. Because God, he, he teaches about it. Look at what Jesus taught about when he was here on earth. He talked about equality. Look at the walls he broke down when he went to the woman at the well. Look at the walls he broke down when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Why in the church are we silent about issues that God says, open up your heart to these issues. Open up your home. Pour it out. That's why I love Free Chapel. Look around you. You're going to see different races, different backgrounds, different people, because the church is not meant to be one race. The church is not meant to be one people. The church is meant to be multicultural, and it's meant to be filled with people who do not know each other, but we're about to get to know each other because we're family, and we're pouring out our lives on the altar of your faith. We're pouring out our lives on the altar of your purpose and your destiny. The keys can come on up. I'm finishing. It helps me. I'm sorry helps me. I don't want to keep you here all night because I will. Like they gave me the mic. So we'll basically go until my kid wakes up. So that could be, I'm just kidding. If you're feeling stagnant in your relationship with God, I want to challenge you to pour out. And this is where I'll get more specific. And the area in which you are feeling stagnant, that is the area in which you need to pour out in. It says this in, in the message translation. They say, who do the people say that I am? And Jesus says, uh, who do they say that I am? And they say, Elijah, some say Jeremiah. Peter says, no, you're Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, that's amazing. That revelation is I build, you know, on this rock, I build my church. And then Peter's like, you know, oh, that's amazing. And then Jesus is like, well, now I have to go and die. He's like, no, you can't die. You can't go. He says, get behind me, Satan. It's like this big turn of events. And Jesus begins to give this dissertation. And he says this. He says, my, the, my way is not a way of self-serving, but a way of self-sacrifice. A way of giving. It says, can you gain the whole world and lose your soul? So what Peter had was a revelation of who Jesus was. And what Jesus said is now you get to take that on for yourself. Because when you know who Jesus I am is, you get to take that on as your I am, your identity. But oftentimes we think our identity is for us. And the way we found it, find it is by self-serving. But what Jesus was saying was your identity is not found in the revelation you had to keep it for yourself, Peter, because that's what Peter was trying to do. He said that revelation was meant to build the church and reach people and break down racial barriers and break down walls and reach people who are broken, hurting, lost. And, it, and it, that's what your revelation was for. Your revelation is not self-serving, it is self-sacrificing. So this is my question to you this week. An area that you feel like you are stagnant in or have lack identity in God in, when was the last time you gave that area to someone else? Financially, you're struggling. I get it, there's times that we struggle. But in the times that we struggle, we cannot lack in generosity. Because if we are not generous when we are struggling, we will not be generous when we have plenty. 
If you're lacking in joy and, and, and you're struggling with depression, when was the last time we got outside of our thoughts and began to love on someone else and realize we are not the only one on this earth that is struggling with that problem? We are not the only ones. See, the reason why people keep on struggling is because we in the church keep our mouths shut. As long as we stay silent, there's going to be people behind us who still struggle with the same things we're struggling with. Your life is not meant to be lived for your own. But when you get to the end of your life, can you be like Paul and say, you know what? I wasn't self-serving. I gave up my business. I gave up my finances. I gave up my time, my words, my actions, and I gave it everything I got to this church. And now I'm looking at the end of my life and I'm not complaining. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not grumbling. I'm not angry. I'm excited and I'm rejoicing because it was all for you. Can we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.